If you have a Bible, you can open it uh, to the 139th chapter of the book of Psalms. Uh, Since the coronavirus first uh, prevented us from gathering together for public worship, we've been looking to the book of Psalms for why we can trust the Lord in the midst of our troubles. And I've said this before and I'll say it again. As long as we live in this world, uh, there will always be reasons to fear. And yet what have we seen week after week after week? There are always better reasons to trust the Lord. If you remember nothing else from this sermon series, remember that, and I'm going to keep saying it till you can't help but remember it. There are always better reasons to trust the Lord. And we're going to look at a final one this morning in Psalm 139. Now, I say final, not because I think we have exhausted the reasons to trust the Lord over the span of a mere six weeks, okay? The reasons to trust him are as infinite as his perfections. And the perfection of his sovereignty and love and wisdom know no bounds. Therefore, there will what? Always be more reasons to trust the Lord, okay? Rather, I say final because next Sunday, I'm excited for us to begin a new sermon series in the book of James, I don't know if you're familiar with that book, but, but James is a delightfully practical book. I think it's also remarkably relevant in our present situation, especially when it comes to how do we respond to suffering? How do we navigate frustrated desires in our hearts? How do we work through the messiness of relationship with all the people we're confined with at home? Or how do we think through the priority and the purpose of money, which, which is only growing in our minds as our economy continues to struggle. So we're going to dive into that book next Sunday, and I look forward to that. My confidence week after week, no matter which book of the Bible we're looking at, is that all we need to please the Lord in the midst of our uncertain state of affairs, all we need is found in his word, brothers and sisters. God doesn't just tell us live in a way that glorifies me. He says that, but he doesn't just say that. He tells us exactly what it is about himself, about who he is, that enables and empowers us to do so. Okay, Psalm 139 does exactly that. It it speaks of who God is, namely of his intimate knowledge of us as his people. And then it shows us how to respond. So hear the word of the Lord from Psalm 139. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night, 
even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. The Lord's intimate knowledge of his people enables us to live for his glory. That's the main point of Psalm 139. Contrary to everything you might be feeling right now. Friend, you are not invisible and you are not alone. God knows everything about you and God is always with you. Knows everything about you and he's always with you. So let's look at each one of those points in turn in verses 1 to 16. And then let's see how we should respond to them in verses 17 to 24. Okay, so point number one, God knows everything about you. Okay, look at verse 1. The author of this psalm, King David, he doesn't waste any time laying out the theme of this whole chapter. What does he say? Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. Okay, think about the significance of that statement. Okay, he's saying, David's saying that the Lord's searching knowledge of the universe as the one who created it all and sustains it all, it isn't a high level only kind of knowledge. Okay, it's not like Google Maps, you know? You keep clicking, you zoom in, and and things get blurry quickly. No, it's a very personal knowledge. Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. Friends, you realize that's true of you no matter what you think or believe about God. The Lord has searched you and known you. You you might feel like who you are is a mystery to other people or, or even a mystery to yourself. That no one knows the real you. But listen, you are not a mystery to God. Everything there is to know about you, he knows. Look at verse 2. What does that mean? Well, he knows what you're doing when you sit down and when you rise up. The the exact nature of your activity at every point in the day. 
He knows what you're thinking. Verse 2, he, he discerns your thoughts from afar. He knows where you're going and where you're resting, the, the entire trajectory of your life and every point along the way, verse 3. In, in summary, he's what? Acquainted with all your ways, familiar with all your ways, so much so, verse 4, even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. Think about that. Have you, have you ever been in an argument? Not that any of us have. I certainly have. And felt like words were just kind of pouring out of your mouth without any sort of advance warning or awareness on your part. And you're thinking, where did that come from? Yikes. You know, God knew every one of them before you even spoke them. Think about that. His, his knowledge of you isn't contingent. It's not time limited on you revealing yourself to him. His knowledge is eternally comprehensive. And, and David recognizes that, that he's, he's enveloped. He's hemmed in, as it were, by the perfect knowledge of God, that the Lord has laid his hand upon him. That's a powerful image. You know, think about this. If you're a parent, how do you maneuver a young child through a large crowd of strangers? How do you do that? Well, well, if you don't want to buy one of those funny-looking backpacks that makes their kid look like a monkey and then you're kind of holding onto the tail leash, what do you do? Well, you rest your hand on them, right? So that you know exactly where they are and exactly what they're doing at, at all times. And that's what the Lord's perfect knowledge of David was like to him. It was comforting. It was reassuring. He knew he wasn't hidden. He wasn't invisible. Listen, he wasn't an unknown jumble of contradictory desires. Okay, waiting to be explored and, and organized into some sort of cohesive personal identity. Someone already knew him. Someone was already aware of him. And not just part of him, all of him. The, the Lord, think about this, already understood more about David than David could possibly understand about himself. That's the point of verse 6, right? Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's high. I can't attain it. That's out of my reach. You know, what, what does the world tell us, friends? It says that if you want to find meaning, if you want to experience a sense of purpose and fulfillment in your life, you have to what? That's, you have to figure out who you are. It starts with discovering the real you so you can try to become the real you. In other words, your individual knowledge of yourself is the key to happiness, we're told. Well, in contrast, what does David do? It's the exact opposite. You realize that? He, he isn't fixated or focused on his knowledge of himself at all. He stands in awe of God's knowledge of him. He takes comfort not in his own insight or un understanding. He takes comfort in the knowing hand of God. The Lord knows who I am. And therefore, I'm safe. I'm secure. You know, and in our pride, because that's what it is, we want to think that we know ourselves, 
better than anyone else, God included. And therefore, we are in the best position to know and determine what is good and right for us. Would you realize the exact opposite is actually true? The only person who thoroughly and entirely knows you, friend, is God, not you. And therefore, you will never discover a joyful and satisfying life by starting with what you think is true about you. You have to start with what God says is true about you, okay? So what does God say? Well, he says he created you in his image, which means you have incredible worth and value as a person. Okay, regardless of what anyone else thinks about you or thinks they know about you, yourself included. Okay, he says you were made to worship and serve the one whose image you bear, which means your greatest joy will be found in delighting in God in the same way that God delights in himself. You know, he also says you're a sinner who needs a savior, And that Jesus Christ is that savior. And if you're willing to trust and follow him, friend, you will be reconciled to God as his beloved son or daughter with all your sins forgiven. That's really important. Why? Because left to ourselves, God's perfect knowledge of us is a source of terror and condemnation because he's a righteous judge. He doesn't leave the guilty unpunished. But through the gospel, God's perfect knowledge of us, because of what Jesus has done for us, his life, his death, his resurrection, it it becomes a wellspring of immeasurable comfort. Why do I say that? Because the gospel reminds us that the one who knows us the best loves us the most. Think about that. You know, what, what often happens in our relationships with other people Maybe you've experienced this a lot in your life. The the more we discover, sadly, who they really are after a few months or a a few years, the mirage shatters. And and the sky-high love that we maybe felt for them at first takes a few notches down or, or maybe a lot of notches down. Not so with the Lord. Why? Because the Father's love for you is not the product of a mirage or an illusion. He knows all of you. Okay, the good, the bad, the ugly, and he doesn't love you because on balance, having known all that, you come out lovely. No, he loves you and gave himself for you on the cross because he is lovely and because he delights to make you lovely. Romans 5 verse 8 But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Okay, the gospel says the one who knows you the best loves you the most. And for that reason, Christian, listen, you're free. (laughs) You're really free. You're free from frantically trying to, to keep up a certain appearance or from trying to hide your sins and weaknesses from the Lord and his people. Why? Because God already knows. He already knows. And he still loves you because you've been united to his eternally beloved son, 
Jesus Christ. In Christ, God's perfect knowledge of us becomes a joy instead of a threat. And it tells us that no matter how overlooked or unseen or alone or invisible you are or feel to other people or even yourself, you are never hidden from the Father who loves you. Never. Not now. At no point in the future. He sees you. He knows you because he's with you. Point number two, God is always with you. He knows everything about you and he's always with you. Verses seven to 16. Look at verse seven with me. This is amazing. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence. Now, I was thinking about this. For, for most of us, it's not hard in a physical sense, important qualifier, to, to stay away from other people right now. You know, many of us are, are confined at home. And if, and if we do venture out for groceries or home supplies, what do we find? Well, there's, there's tape all over the floors to guard us from getting too close to other people. I get that. I'm in part grateful for that. And, you know, I th- and I think, to be honest, that, that one of the most difficult consequences of our present health crisis um, is and will be that the spiritual and psychological effects of social distancing. We, we weren't made to live alone. We weren't. We were made to live in community in the same way that the triune God himself enjoys community. But, you know, as good as the gift of community is, as much as we miss it, Okay, this psalm, what David's about to say here, tells us, friends, there's something even better. There's a greater joy for you, a greater joy available to you than our best experience of community in this life can provide. And when we do experience community in this life, when, when Lord willing, we are reunited as a church family and we can gather to sing. I can't wait to sing with you on Sundays. Even that experience will ultimately reflect something even better. What's that? What's the gift of God's presence? Not your church family's presence. God's presence. David knew and found incredible comfort in the fact that God didn't just know him perfectly. He was with him constantly. Look at verse 8. If I ascend to heaven, what's that? If I go up, you were there. If I make my bed in Sheol in the grave, if I go down, you were there. If I take the wings of the morning, what's that? If I go to the east, and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, the Mediterranean, or, or turn to the west. You're still there. Up, down, east, west, you're there. Notice that repetition. You were there. You were there. Even there, no, no matter where you are, 
no matter what's happening, no matter how isolated you feel from the people around you, you are never alone, friend, because the Lord is with you. He's with you. Now, even as I say that, though, that we have to make a really important distinction, okay? So think carefully with me here. Okay, God is everywhere present, omnipresent, in the sense that his entire being is present and active, sustaining and working all things according to the perfection of his sovereign will at every point in the entire universe. That does not mean he is one with the natural world. Or that the natural world is somehow included or enveloped within his being. Listen, this is so important. God is both gloriously distinct from the cosmos and at the same time fully present at every point within the cosmos. Okay, and that sort of omnipresence is included in what David's describing here. But but his experience goes way further than that even further than that. Why do I say that? Well, because David isn't writing as a random spiritual observer. You know? Oh, look, there's omnipresent God doing his omnipresent thing all over the world. No, he's writing as part of God's covenant people, which means he enjoyed God's manifest or revealed presence in a way that other people did not. The Lord was near to David and with the entire nation of Israel in a way he was not near to other peoples or nations at that point in redemptive history. You know, it's, it's what an Israelite named Moses recognized when he said to the Lord in Exodus, is, is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct I and your people from every other people on the face of the earth? Exodus 33, 16. God is with everyone in a general sense, okay? But he manifests his presence to his people. He's with his people in a very unique sense. And as Christians living on this side of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, we experience God's manifest presence in an immeasurably greater way than David ever did. How? Through the gift of the Holy Spirit. John 14, verse 16. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Think about that. You know, through the indwelling presence of the Spirit, what the Lord accomplished through his presence with David back then, he accomplishes all the more through his presence, his indwelling in us, today. So look at verse 10. It's the Holy Spirit, friends, that that enables us to read this verse and not just say, oh, well, that must just have been David's experience. Good for him. No, no, this is immeasurably more true for us today because of the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 10. What does David say? 
There, 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 even there, what? Your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. Christian, do you realize that in whatever situation you find yourself, no matter what's going on, the Lord is with you constantly and cares for you continually. Okay, through, through the Spirit, His hand rests on you in an immeasurably greater way than it rested on David. Okay, the Spirit is present to lead you. The Spirit is present to hold you. Think about that. There's no hand or arm or power in the universe stronger than the Lord. And, and so to be held by him right now is what, Christian? The ultimate place of safety and refuge and protection and deliverance. Translation, you are good. <laughs> it's well with your soul. You're held by God. But you know, let's be honest. There are a lot of times that we doubt that, don't we? You hear the preacher say that, and you think, but, dot, 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 dot. Even as Christians, there are a lot of times we don't feel held. We don't feel seen. It, it doesn't even feel like God is near. It feels like verse 11 Darkness has covered us. And the light, the, the joy, the, the spiritual awareness of God's presence and favor that we once knew is just evaporating, dissipating under the weight of suffering. The, the light is becoming night, which is exactly what David felt. And in that moment, my friend, we need... Today, we need, in our own darkness, the precious promise of verse 12. Look there with me. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. You, you ever been in a room inside a house with no windows? and all the lights are off, and there's one of those little stuffy things under the door crack, so there's no light getting in. It is completely dark. You know, there are situations in our life that feel like that, inscrutably dark to us, situations where, where we can't see God, and it feels like he can't see us. But what's verse 12 tell us? That even those situations that are inscrutably dark to us are what? Transparently bright to God. From your perspective, all the lights are off. From God's perspective, all the lights are on. <laughs> Always. So in your darkest moment, please hear this. Don't hope in your ability to see God. Rest in God's faithfulness to see you. Because he is always with you. You know, in David's day, just to illustrate this, the womb was one of the darkest places imaginable. You know, I'm, I'm grateful for prenatal medicine and modern technology, but, but remember, David and his 
family didn't have an ultrasound machine. (laughs) So you could know a baby was in there, but you couldn't see it. The prenatal life for David was completely invisible. From a physical perspective, looking back over his life, David knew he was never more hidden or isolated than he was in his mother's womb. And yet, what does the Lord say in verses 13 to 16? Even there, God was present and active. Notice that. Knitting him together, verse 13. Intricately weaving and and fashioning him in secret. What's that say? It says that at no point in your life, friend, from the moment of your conception onward, has your frame, your, your physical strengths and weaknesses included, ever been hidden from God. Never has from the moment of your conception and his, his leading, his holding power in your life is so decisive and so determinative that he ordained what? All the days formed for you when as yet there were none of them. So what's true today in the midst of all the isolation and the loneliness brought on by this coronavirus pandemic has been true from the very beginning of your life. Something hasn't changed. What's that? You're not alone. You never have been. You never will be. God is always with you. He's with you constantly and cares for you continually. A lot of us have been spending a lot of time on Zoom screens recently. And you notice what happens, the more people you get, the smaller those little pictures on your computer get, right? You are not a fuzzy pixel on God's cosmic Zoom screen, okay? He knows everything about you and he is always with you. And that intimate knowledge, okay, the fact that he knows everything about us and is always with us, okay, that enables us to live for his glory. Verses 1 to 16 tell us who God is. Verses 17 through 24 tell us how we should respond. And I want to conclude with this and point out three ways that David responds and we too should respond to the intimate knowledge of God. First, we should stand in awe of the greatness and graciousness of God. You need to stand in awe of the greatness and graciousness of God. You know, in verses 17 to 18, David doubles down on the amazement he's expressed throughout the entire psalm. It it sort of keeps popping up out of him every time you see the word wonderful. What does he say? How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I could count them, they are more than the sand. And then this is my favorite part. What does he say? I awake and I am still. Why would a God so great, so infinite in in perfections, in knowledge, in, in presence and in power, want anything to do with us, friends? With you or with me? Who who are we 
compared to him. I mean, it's not even like we just don't play in his league. You know, he's major league, we're kind of double A. We're not even in the game when it comes to being him. And with what sort of finite ability we do possess, what have we done? We've opposed him. We've resisted him. We've, we've run around and pretended all sorts of other people and things are God instead of him. So, so what has a God so great done in response to that? What would you do? Well, he draws near, doesn't he? He draws near. That's the point of this psalm. Not once or twice, not just on your good days, but morning after morning. I love that, the fact David says that. I awake. I awake again. I awake again. And what's true of me on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and repeat it all over again because of Jesus. I'm still with you. I mean, I, I read that and, and I hope your heart says with David, oh, oh, for the spiritual strength and, and humility to remember and rejoice every morning that the defining reality this day is not the kids screaming down the hall for you or the boss screaming on the Zoom call for you. It's the Lord who is ever present with you, friend. You need to stand in awe of him and fight for mindfulness of, of him and, and marvel at his condescension and, and his steadfast love that will not abandon or forsake such a little thing as you or me. Second, we should cry out to God to work justice on the earth. You know, our knowledge of God's omniscience and omnipresence doesn't just make us spiritually passive. It's not just some kind of salve for the confused and the lonely. Okay, it emboldens us to pray the way David did in verses 19 and 22. What does he say here? If you know all things, God, and see all things... If you are everywhere present and thus no wrong is hidden from your sight, then what? Bring an end to injustice, Lord. Defeat those who oppose you and your people. Destroy those who refuse to repent of their wickedness. Men of blood who, who violate your image bears, vindicate the weight of your glory, God. Don't stand idly by as men speak against you with malicious intent or your enemies take your name in vain, mocking your majesty. Lord, because I'm for you, I'm against them and refuse to align myself with them. I want your kingdom to come and your will to be done. I, I hunger and thirst for your name to be exalted. And so instead of, of sinning against you, Breaking your law as if you don't see or you don't know, I choose to remain loyal to you, Lord. I choose to align the, the affections of my heart with what you say is good and right and resist and oppose all that dishonors your name. We, we cry out to God to work justice in the earth. And lastly, we should ask the Lord for the daily gift of repentance. Gift of repentance. In the last two verses of the psalm, David, David reaches back to the very beginning. It's like bookends. How did he begin? Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. Whether I want you to or not, this is who you are. But then what does he say at the very end? Verse 23, search me, oh God, and know my heart. 
He wants the Lord to do that. Because when David's talking about his heart, he's talking about the seed of his desires and affections. And he's saying, Lord, at the core of who I am, I want to be holy. Make me holy, God. Show me where I'm not like you, where I'm, I'm walking or living in a grievous or sinful way. Would, would you grant me the joy, the gift of repentance? Enable me to walk in what is right, in the way of life and, and truth. Lord, would you, would you take your intimate knowledge of me and use that, reveal that to me, so that you can purify my heart from every last vestige of sin and of wickedness. Make me holy. You know, in light of the intimate knowledge of God, every one of us has a choice. And it's really pretty simple. You can ignore reality and carry along doing your life your way and pretend God doesn't see and God doesn't know and that somehow you will not be held accountable or that if you are, somehow it'll be okay. Or you can humble yourself, my friend. Not one day, not on the day we regather for corporate worship, but this day, right now, wherever you are, you can humble yourself before God's searching presence and ask him to cleanse your heart and to refashion you into the image of his spotless son. That's what David chose. That's how he responded to the Lord's intimate knowledge of us as his people. May the Lord empower you to do the same, friend. Your amazing work justice make me holy. That's how we respond to the Lord's intimate knowledge of us as his people. Your amazing work justice make me holy. Don't try to flee from God this week, friend. You can't. Flee to God. Run to Jesus. And having fled to him, rest in the promise this week that he knows you perfectly. He's with you constantly. And no matter what goes on this week, he's going to care for you continually. Let's pray. Father, you are good and sovereign and wise in all your ways. Thank you this morning, Lord, for reminding us, even as we are strangely and unsatisfyingly isolated in a physical sense from the community of your people, from gathering for worship, that you know everything about us. And you are always with us. Lord, I pray that in a season, a prolonged season, where we feel less known and less present, that your intimate knowledge of us, your presence with us, would become increasingly precious to us. And that we would say with David, every morning we awake, Lord, I am still with you. But I thank you that 
You are with us when we are at home. You're with us when we're at work. You're with us when we are in a hospital bed. You're with us when we are grieving with a friend or family member on the phone. I pray that your presence would be our good and would gather us safely together in the months to come. We love you, Lord, and we bless your name. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.